Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Captain Corelli's Mandolin. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, and to be honest, the film isn't really worth your time. But if you do proceed and you haven't seen the film, just be aware that there are plot spoilers for Captain Corelli's Mandolin and some very light spoilers for the film Black Panther. Enjoy. Hello, Mr. Paddy. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't realise I was on the line with Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. I was sound checking this week by doing a um, little Nicholas Cage song. Oh, amazing. Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> There's that amazing um There's that amazing Harry Partridge video where he samples uh, Nicolas Cage saying, I want that cake, into like a little <laughs> dance song. I think I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, how are you? I'm good, man. Is it snowing down there? It it was snowing. Now it seems to have let up a bit, which is nice. Um, We're having but, some... Yeah, no, it was snowing quite heavily. Surprisingly heavy snow here. It's been snowing all day, and it's snowing quite quite heavily out there right now i want to go out and frolic in it oh right okay i'm sorry i'm impeding on your ability <laughs> to go out and frolic in the snow yeah no it's all right it's just weird that it's snowed in march like that's just so british isn't it to just com- just snow at completely the wrong time like when it's like when you actually have time off like at christmas when you want a winter wonderland and you want a bit of dusting or when the actual winter wonderland attraction in hyde park is running we're not sponsored by that attraction at all. Although if they want to give us any money, then that's fine. I would never go, but, you know, each to their own. You know, wh- when that is actually happening and you want there to be snow, it's just, like, slushy and rainy and sometimes even muggy. And now that we're just, like, ready for spring, y- y- you know, that th- this is where we get the snow. Yeah, it can piss off. <laughs> I, I, I really like snow around actual winter time, um, But, like, the moment it hits mid-February... Any snow after that point just becomes a ball lake because you're already like, right, okay, this is cool. I'm going to be able to start wearing T-shirts outdoors without a jumper soon. It's going to be amazing. No. No, none of it. It's, this um, is Britain yeah. doing everything in the wrong time. <laughs> the wrong time, wrong place. Nothing good. Yeah. Gets, just sort it out, Britain. Come on. Sort out your um, sort out your weather. Yeah, so we were supposed to be going down to Devon for a family thing, but because we knew it was going to snow, we called it off. So we, just in case we got stuck on the motorway or something, or whatever, because it's a long way to go. So I felt a bit sad, and then I I baked a lot of stuff. So I made a cheesecake, and for the first time ever, I did it properly, like followed the proper New York recipe from this New York cookbook that we have, and like actually the texture finally worked, and it came out right. But it is a bit of a ball ache to make. You have to um, like let it like bake it for ages, and then leave it to cool down for ages, and then let it in the fridge for ages. So it's it's not for the it's not for the impatient, but it's worth it. It's very good. But 
Yeah, to have a baked cheesecake, though, a proper baked cheesecake. It's worth it, though. Yeah, it's, it's good shit. What have you been up to this weekend? Apart from watching Nicolas Cage, obviously. So I I watched Nicolas Cage, and then that and inspired me to make me a video. During... <laughs> <laughs> See, I always know if you text me during the film that we're going to be in for a very, very good episode and you're going to have lots of thoughts. <laughs> yes, and, and I do have lots and lots of thoughts. Um, and then after the movie was over, I felt inspired because there's there's a few scenes spotted throughout the movie <laughs> where Nicolas Cage plays the mandolin as he is Captain Corelli, who has a mandolin, as <laughs> yeah. per the title, uh, it's Captain not, Corelli's Mandolin. It's not a metaphorical mandolin. It's it's not no. to do with some um, kind of higher purpose. He is although a man. I was hoping that they did like a sequel where he went and became like an exotic animal collector. And um, became, and it was all about Captain Corelli's pangolin. <laughs> Way, pangolins are strangely cute. Even they though are sort of unbelievably cute and reptilian things. Yeah. Um, you'd then have uh, when he then became a, a language specialist, and it would all be about Captain Corelli's Mandarin. <laughs> Way, not a um, a fruit man. Or yeah, alternatively, it becomes Just, like it's going to be a fight between him and the man from Del Monte. Um, it's it's like, like a Rocky-esque movie between Nicolas Cage and the man from Del Monte. The man from Del Monte, he say to Nicolas Cage, give me back all my orange fruits, bitch. <laughs> and Nicolas Cage is like, no, they are mine. <laughs> oh, God. In his... Incredibly lifelike and not at all offensive Italian accent. Yes. Um, yeah, but so so off the back of of, of um, all of the man- mandolin playing in in the film, um, I decided to make a quick video of what would it have been like if Captain Corelli was really shit at the mandolin. And weirdly, um, it didn't so... change anything about the film or the scene at all, really. No, um, but rather than, really rather than some beautiful mandolin playing, you've instead just got someone strumming some horrible atonal dirge for a minute and a half. Was um, um, was it you doing the mandolin? Do you own a mandolin? No, no. I, I found a sample, uh, an example of bad mandolin playing. <laughs> I, love, I love that that exists. You can just Google that and find some bad mandolin playing. The the internet is a is a wonderful and terrible thing. Right, was um, it? Yes, were you so, able to tell if it was of someone deliberately playing badly for effect, or of someone who thought they were playing well, being and someone else had maybe uploaded it, being like this person's was there? Was it a hubristically bad? Should we say? It was. It was a deliberately bad mandolin okay. playing. It it wasn't a cruel video of someone videoing someone playing the mandolin poorly. No. Or like one of those songs, um, like the one where it's it's Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus, and then when the chorus comes in, it's all just like atonal flutes, all like playing the song, the melody just slightly off. <laughs> yes, the uh, the Wrecking Ball video where it's played on recorders <laughs> is one of my uh, that's one of my favourite like remixes ever of any song at any given moment, particularly for the final chorus. It's Vuvuzelas instead, <laughs> and it just makes it all that much better. Uh, no, you you love a good Vuvuzela. I do, I do love a good Vuvuzela. I wonder if that web, um, that browser plugin still exists, where you can just put like a little Vuvuzela playing Eight Bit Man in the corner of your browser for every website, and it makes the sound, and it's really annoying. 
<laughs> I hope it still exists. <laughs> oh dear, we have to look that up. Um, but but yes, in the show notes there will be a, a link to my video of Nicolas Cage playing. It's, it's really incredibly well. Without wishing to say that it's your best work, it's your best work. (laughs) (laughs) See, I was in two minds there because I was thinking I could put something else in there instead. So I thought about just having someone tuning up a guitar in there. Yeah. And so it was just him going, dang, dang, dang. You know what you should should have had? (laughs) (laughs) Not the the whole song. Just a clip just, from like the whenever the last time I played it on the podcast, just over and over, just going. <laughs> See, I was considering putting something like "sexy" and I know it in there instead. <laughs> and so you've got these, you've got these soft mandolin tones leading into it, and then as soon as it cuts to Nicolas Cage, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I felt there's I felt so like, much you could do with it. Yeah, I felt in keeping with continuity. Um, it should have been a mandolin. Yeah. Um, but if any of our dear listeners want to get involved in the Nicolas Cage editing uh, uh, collective, shall we say, uh, feel free to uh, download my version of it and then just cut in your own music, whatever you want. Yeah. Should we make this like a competition or something? What kind of prize we could, do. could we give? Out? Could we give out? We could do a prize um, for the best one. Ah, oh, yeah. What can we do prize-wise? Given that we have no money to use for prizes, no. could we? We could give a. We could each do a drawing of Nicolas Cage and then send it to the winner. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Some... I, I can do. I can do a really nice Photoshop, and you can do a a drawing of Nicolas Cage, and then those can go through to whoever wins the competition for the best fan edit of Nicolas okay. Cage playing mandolin. That's 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 very good. The first original Big Boys Don't Cry artwork. Yeah, the the cage the cage challenge. We'll we'll get this going. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Every um, everyone, I want you guys involved <laughs> in the cage challenge. Come on. Yeah. Please hit hit us with your best shot. The basic video is already do... there for you. Just got to be ripped off YouTube and then just yeah, chop in your own music, whatever you think is most appropriate, and then whatever makes us laugh the most. Or maybe you'll add something in there that'll be really emotional. And and it will be so impactful. Yeah, if you you could use something like "My Heart Will Go On" or some some kind of emotional flute song, you know that would work. Or I hear there's this really good band called Palomino Club. Yeah, um, who have the best songs in the world, and that would fit in incredibly well. I don't want to say that you'd win if you mixed in a Palomino Club track, but you'd win if you mixed in a Palomino Club track. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, yeah. I'm just now imagining it with them um, bat out of hell. <laughs> See, there's so much potential. <laughs> oh, I don't want to. I don't want to do too do too many because I want you uh, the rest of. I want you, dear listeners, to get involved with it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Very, very good. The cage challenge. Yeah, get get involved. Um, but yes, I was quite yeah. proud of that when I was finished with it. But what I, what I was, I was like, going to say. Apart from it being your best work, is that it actually really, really encapsulates everything that is both good and bad about this film, because the the whole scene while he's playing his beautiful mandolin, they're all just kind of sitting there listening to him. They're all a bit nonplussed, especially Penelope Cruz, who is the the love interest um, 
and she's just kind of watching him looking really nonplussed. So the expression on her face is so kind of blank and just kind of, oh, okay, that's happening, that you could literally play any song and you could feel like that would be a, a reasonable reaction to it. And that's kind of hints at the sort of the unapologetic sort of woodenness of the film, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it really it works quite well. Um there's there's a couple of like glances that show a little bit of emotion, but in general that that scene is just a lot of people sitting around awkwardly. Um It's and... really awkward and it goes on forever and it feels you switch it's only about a minute and a half, but it feels like half an hour. Yeah, and and I think that's a really good way to sum up this film in general as well. <laughs> is it, it's awkward and it feels like it goes on forever it's unbelievably long it's i think it clocks in at about an hour and 50 but yeah it just it takes it takes so long to get to where it needs to get to that that i think is is the problem really that the pacing is just all really really off and it it delivers its messages in a very very schmaltzy and very very overdone way but still takes ages to get to the point of delivering them it's yeah, it's very very strange. It's yeah, it's um it's a real it's a really odd movie in that it's I, I was reading up about it and they to begin with I think they they compared it to they were trying to remake Dr. Zhivago, like try and keep that same kind of tone. Right. And you can kind of see what they were going for with like the the historical epic romance. I've never um, seen Dr. Zhivago. Have you? Yeah, it's long. Yeah, <laughs> that's the. It's fine. Um, but, I've never um, seen Citizen Kane either. It, there's this really good cane in it. <laughs> it goes around hitting people with a cane, and they're like, "They should name you Citizen Kane." <laughs> Citizen Kane. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. They're, they're they're both good films. Um, they they're both really good lazy Sunday movies where you can you can sort of appreciate them as a historical sort of um masterstroke of cinema whilst not really having to give them your full attention that sounds great and like sounds ideal and get a cup of tea every so often yeah they're, they're both very good i think like there's not many old movies that still maintain the level of quality as it were um, unless unless carrie grant the handsome onion is in it yes unless there's a particularly handsome onion in them <laughs> Um, but uh, but yeah, they're they're another two that still they're still very interesting because I think part of the reason why Citizen Kane's maintained itself for so long is that a lot of the, like the cinematography involved in it was quite radical for the time, right? Um, so like it actually it does still hold up quite well. Um, it's not the greatest movie of all time. Um, the greatest movie of all time is RoboCop. So yeah. <laughs> Soz Citizen Kane. <laughs> Oh, but I've... you don't have a guy driving a van into a toxic waste silo and then coming out of the toxic waste silo and then getting hit by another car and exploding. If you had that, maybe you'd be the best movie of all time, but you don't. See, I, I was going to say that the best movie of all time is Beethoven. <laughs> if your film um, does does not have St. Bernard, or as the Americans say, a St. Bernard... Um, being raised by a lovely family from a puppy. If it doesn't have angry dad bod Charles Grodin being angry all over the place, but ultimately saving the day and cracking a smile at the doggy at the end, I don't want to know. 
<laughs> but does it pass the guy driving into toxic waste um, <laughs> test? That's what I want to know. Is that guy as in Guy Fieri? Well, maybe that's where he got his powers from. Maybe that's where he got his hair from. Oh shit, dog! That's how he. <laughs> that's how he got his um his amazing culinary skill. It's toxic. <laughs> you know, know that, that you're that toxic. Is toxic. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Oh dear me! That's good. Did you have a lazy Sunday afternoon film today? Uh, uh, yeah, I have actually been watching a load of stuff over the last couple of days. Um, so um, I've kind of just been binging on Netflix alongside watching Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Um, so well, I were you, were you double screenings? Uh, well, no, I basically just spent all day um, watching movies and playing games. Cool. Uh, I mean, I'm usually nice. against double screening, but I think Captain Corelli's Mandolin is so boring <laughs> that like it's kind of obligatory. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was. Well, I paid quite a lot of attention to it because I wanted to have a, a, a relatively in-depth discussion about it today. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I did kind of drift into playing a bit of FIFA in the background when it was going through. It's, <laughs> it's just like, okay, I'll just play one game of FIFA. It's fine. It's fine. Captain um, Curly's foot sport. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So I watched. Um, I watched a few m- movies over this weekend. Um, a couple of like indie horror me- movies, um, and uh, I watched uh, Mute today as well, which is oh. the latest Duncan Jones film. Yeah, David Bowie's son uh, who made Moon. Yes, did Moon, Source Code, and the Warcraft movie. And by and all accounts, is a lovely dude. Yes, he seems super on the ball. Um, and like he's he's got a, a generally got a pretty decent track record for his film. So Moon is amazing. Um, Source Code is very very interesting. Um, doesn't quite reach the same heights, but at the same time, it's much more ambitious than Moon. Um, and like it deals with quite heavy subject matters in a quite interesting way. So it's very unique the way that it talks about stuff. Um, and Warcraft itself was a really. It's kind of I don't know. It's it's not very good, but it. Try to basically build an entire backstory for the Warcraft universe over the space of like two hours, which, as you say in your recent your recent piece on Screen Rant, is a problem with video game films often. Yes, yeah. So, um, also something in the show notes, Paddy, if you can book that in for me, I can. Um, I will. I've written a, a deep dive analysis into why video game movies suck off the back of Tomb Raider, which does not suck apparently. The new one. Um. Yes, yeah, the new one apparently is um, pretty damn decent. Um, Where all the the Mennonists are very offended that she hasn't got large breasts. Yeah, um, because they're idiots. Um, so it, it 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 seems like it's it's done quite a faithful adaptation, but it's done what very few video game movies do, which is be brutal about what makes it into the script for a film. Whereas with a lot of movies that are made out of video games, they kind of pander to elements of the games that are untranslatable in sort of like a cinematic medium instead, uh, rather than making the cuts to keep it thematically relevant and keep the same general plot structure, but cut out the crap that only works within the video game spectrum. Yeah. Um, And it seems to have done a really good job of that, which is good to see. And so far, it's the highest rated video game movie ever of critics. Um, which isn't a very 
high ceiling because I don't think there'd been <laughs> one before this that had got above 40%. Oh, really? Um, as a sort of Rotten tomato score, as much as I hate Rotten Tomatoes as a qualifier. Um, in like there'd been never been a movie that had had this much of a positive reception from critics. Wait, you mean the Even Super better, Mario Brothers movie didn't get 100%? Surprisingly, the Super Mario Brothers movie was not very well liked by critics, which I'm disappointed by. But I think critics in general have been a bit mean on video game movies over the years. I think there's been a fair few that have been actually quite good fun. Yeah. Um, so like the Silent Hill movie is a decent horror film. Need for Speed is a really fun racing, driving movie. Um, so like there have been ones that have been decent and enjoyable, but I think there's still a little bit of snobbishness amongst critics that it comes from a video game. Um, yeah. Because like there's never been a bad movie, and there's never been a dumb movie, and there's never been a movie that's had stupid subject matter. There's never ever um, been before. a bad film based on a book. Yeah, that's never happened. That's literally never happened because books are literary and shit. That's why Captain yeah. Curley's Mandolin is such a great film because it's based on a book. Exactly. And it's not as though the book itself was a piece of trash that <laughs> really angered everyone in Greece. Um, did it? That definitely didn't happen. Yes. So I, I think at some point we'll did talk not know about that. the historical relevancy of Captain Curley's Mandolin and yeah. how, in fact, the movie nearly does a better job of telling the real story than the book did yeah um uh, but uh but shall we shall we move on to a brief discussion of captain corelli's mandarin uh, Ma- captain corelli's mandarin <laughs> you could have said Ca- that every time now Ca- captain corelli's yeah. pangolin in general uh, um, the fruit the fruit that he ate in scene seven yes yeah oh yeah i, I forgot to say mute is pretty good cool it's it's, it's not amazing but it's pretty good it's got some nice performances in it um, if you like Blade Runner, but you want to watch something that's not as good as Blade Runner, then it's a decent shout. Yeah, I've um, I've been hearing good things about Mute. Yeah, it's 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 all right. It's a it's a solid film. Cool, um, but not not as spectacular as some people might have wanted. Um, but better than Captain Corelli's Man. <laughs> no surprises there. I also <laughs> yeah. It does uh, other other films just on the subject. Our Lazy Day Sunday film today was Paddington Two. Which I didn't get to oh, see in cool. the cinema, but was highly acclaimed, and I loved it. It was very, very. It was so, it was British in a good way, which is you know we we love to hate on Britain on this podcast, but it was it was just sort of had enough charm to make me think, okay, it's sort of a it's 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 all right, you know. But it it was good. It had a really good cast. It was really really fun, and it had enough kind of tomfoolery and hijinks and adventure caper stuff without labouring that side of it and also had a good heart and was cutesy without overdoing that side of it either it walked that tightrope really really well so hats off to everyone oh, cool. in that film yeah because I, I find that the um, Paddington movies they're kind of like a kid's introduction to Wes Anderson they kind of feel like if yeah. Wes Anderson made an outright kid's film um, then he'd make like Paddington because it's got those kind, same kind of like uh, like cinematic elements that Wes Anderson uses every so often. So I wish Wes Anderson would do pretty. that. Yeah, like they're they because I mean, like he's done the, the new movie looks quite sweet, and I imagine that kids wouldn't hate it. Although uh, I don't know how whether it div- <laughs> divulges into some kind of battle royale <laughs> in the final third. They all start um, eating each other. <laughs> I saw the trailer for it on Friday actually. Friday I had the day off work in lieu of having worked the previous Sunday. So I went turned it into a double cinema day. So I went to see Black Panther first, 
which was very good. And then I went to see The Shape of Water, which was also very good. So it was a very, very good day. But I saw oh, the excellent. I saw the trailer for Isle of Dogs while I was in there. And it looked good, but strange. But the animation style kind of freaked me out a bit. And I think I probably will watch it, but yeah, the style was very quite visually jarring. And I get I get that it's supposed to be, but it, I found it a little bit... It wasn't easy on the eyes, you know? Oh, yeah, it's very Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. Um, and, and I didn't quite get on board with Fantastic Mr. Fox as much as I wanted to. Yeah, me um, neither. But I think, I think Isle of Dogs, um, I think it looks like it's going to do that better. And also the fact that, wasn't it George Clooney's? Who was the, <laughs> it was um, George Clooney's. <laughs> and, and something about him being in it I found a little bit jarring. Yeah. Um, I wanted someone less obvious. And the new movie seems to be more of an ensemble piece. It's got all of, um, all of Wes Anderson's faves. Yeah. Um, the same so ones who are in I'm, every Wes Anderson film. Exactly. And that's what we want. We want that continuity. We don't want change. Yeah. We, we, we want... We want Wes and our love of Wes Anderson is our equivalent to what Brexiters think when they think about 1950s England. Yeah, the, um, we need don't to want get... any of that change in our Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, we need to turn back the clock to the Royal Tenenbaums to save cinema. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, oh, that's cool though. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoy Black Panther. Yeah, it's a it's a good film. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it actually. As you know, I'm not much of a Marvel guy, but I thought it was pro- it was definitely the smartest Marvel film that I've seen, and it was genuinely quite fun and had a really good and interesting social message, and was just yeah, it was just really really good, really well done. Like I said, the the adventure elements weren't too schlocky, but you were like, hell yeah, I love the kinetic cat suit. I'm I'm here for that. Like it's all yeah, it was a really really good cast, really well done. Very impressed. And the shape yeah, of water, I, I felt also great. I- I, f- I felt that um, Black Panther it raised it raised some interesting questions um, in a way that you haven't seen from a Marvel movie since Captain America two, um, where, where there's, there's there's been very few of these Marvel films that really sort of like bring up like sort of talking points. A lot of the time, it is just here's some people and they're going to punch each other in the face for a while. Whereas whereas Black Panther, much like um captain america 2 or the guardians of the galaxy movies it did something a little bit different and it brought up some interesting topics um and it also was the first marvel movie i've seen where there's been a villain who's interesting um and michael b jordan is amazing in it and you're kind of on his side to some degree you kind of you sympathize with what he's been through and what he was initially trying to achieve and although now he's become this villain you kind of see like at some point if they if there had been this interaction he would have been could have become a hero of sorts he could have been a very sympathetic character yeah and you're like um, he's kind of got a point and his the the ultimate aim of what he wants to do is the same as some of the other people in Wakanda obviously but they just have shit have different approaches to it so it's more about fighting over they they're both they both essentially want the same things but their ways of going about it are different and that's the tension which is very very different to evil man take over world punchy man punch him yeah and and that's been the problem with a lot of them is it's just like i'm gonna take over the world and it's like why do you want to do that and it's just kind of like a non-committal shrug and and that's what you get from the marvel villain so far and i don't think that that's going to change with with the with the new avengers movies either i think thanos is still just like i'm a big bad evil guy um <laughs> with a big cgi chin um 
And, yeah, I uh, like. I'm not. I'm not suddenly <clears throat> going to start going to see every Marvel film just because I like Black Panther. Like, I, I feel like it's an exception rather than a rule. But it's still, it was very, very good, and I was very impressed. And it's made me more open to the fact that there might be some more smart Marvel films on the way. Yeah, and and it's good to see them doing things like this. And I think if Marvel wants to continue having this stranglehold without there being additional comic book movie fatigue, they need to start doing more interesting stuff with their films. And this was a good step. And like, and they've done it before and it's been very successful. Hopefully they'll think, mm, you know what? Maybe we'll raise some more interesting questions in the next movie again. Yeah. it's It feels like it's going in the, an interesting a new direction and that's good. Because a few years ago it was all Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Bullshit and just like endless stupid films like that that were all rubbish with sad Batman in them. And you just thought, just go away, superhero movies. I don't ever want to see one ever again. But now I feel like I'm more open to them, which is great. Well, the funny thing is that, did you watch Batman v Superman? I did not. It's not very good, but at the same time, it tries to do something. Which I think is, that's the difference between the Marvel movies, which are all competent and enjoyable, but ultimately don't ask any big questions and the dc movies which are a complete mess but at least they try and ask something interesting so like so batman v superman has all of these questions about responsibility um and things like that and the threat of uh the superheroes which is quite interesting um and although the film is a massive jumbled mess at least it makes those kind of questions and it asks those kind of questions and it was the same with man of steel where it did a quite similar thing um it just didn't execute it very well um whereas what you got with black panther was that it didn't go as far as i would have liked in terms of uh like discussing these questions i think it would have been really good if there'd been more of a disintegration of wakanda after michael b jordan's character takes over um and and you see more of that friction internally rather than oh he's taken over now and yeah okay everyone's on his side now um and and it, there then there would have been a really good potential to then sort of like discuss those issues a little bit more but that couldn't really happen yeah i'd rather have um, seen them working together spent... for the future of wakanda but it was yeah that was never going to happen i guess yeah and i mean i mean there'd still have to be that big conflict because ultimately their two eventual goals were so differing that there's no way that they could reach that middle ground but i think it would have been interesting to see how michael b jordan um how killmonger his character managed to um bring over all of these people into coming around to his way of thinking killmonger's um, a very like... good villain name because it yes. sounds it sounds threatening and evil but also munger also reminds me of cockneys down the fish market so <laughs> it's it's ideal yeah it's a good one eric um, killmonger <laughs> And yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting film though. It's it's not perfect, but at least it it does something a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, on on DC, I feel like I really enjoyed Wonder Woman, so that's something. But yeah, I I feel like they're they're maybe just a little bit behind, as you say, but they could catch up. I mean, I think the 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 big problem with them is that they came off the back of the incredibly successful Dark Knight trilogy, which is still yeah. like the best superhero adaptation to film. It's like there's no way they were going to top that, but then they still tried to do sort of like grim and gritty, but also try and make it 
cartoonish at the same time. Yeah. Whereas I think they would have been better suited to doing something a little bit stranger, um, which I think would have been a little bit better for them. But hey ho, they should have done some stranger things. Oh, I lost you there, Paddy. Oh, all I said was they should have done some stranger things. It was a very, oh right, okay. I assumed you'd, <laughs> I assumed you'd gone silent because it was just such a terrible, not even joke, joke. <laughs> no, although in my head I did think, oh, I wonder if Paddy's going to make a Stranger Things reference at this point. <laughs> it's too easy. I, t- I take. I'm a simple man. I'll always take the bait. <laughs> and um, yeah, I love the Shape of Water as well. Have you still not seen it? Right? No, no, I haven't seen it yet. Cool. I won't. I won't spoil it for you. But it's really. It's beautiful and really arresting and really strange. Um, and there's a there's an almost like Miyazaki ish quality to it in that it's so. The city scenes and the way everything moves aesthetically really sort of Studio Ghibli-ish, but in real life it's really strange. And Sally Hawkins' performance is absolutely outstanding. The music is the score, the score, and there's a kind of a big song moment that's really good as well. Yeah, I really, really loved it, and it was really arresting. I highly recommend it. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I'm going to watch it as soon as I can. Um, I missed the cinematic run. But, yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm going to get on that as soon as I can actually watch it. So I saw two films that really I think live up to live up to their their hype and deserve their critical reception. And then I came home and watched Captain Corelli's Mandolin. <laughs> <laughs> Which fair does it does it live up to its critical reception in um, your eyes? Actually, I suppose it does. I was looking at the Wikipedia section on critical reception of this is really really good. Roger Ebert. I mean, Roger Ebert. I feel like was actually quite easy to please. Because he gave a lot of shit films good reviews. But even Roger Ebert was was not pleased with this. He says, What we get is kind of a condensed version of some of the sights and sounds of the novel without the heart, the spirit and the juicy detail. But then it goes on. There's a hilarious one from Peter Bradshaw writing in The Guardian. What a droopy, disappointing film this is. It has some of the unhappiest casting to be seen and dodgiest accents to be heard in the cinema. The worst offender being the barrel-chested, horse-faced Nicolas Cage. (laughs) (laughs) That's so mean. That is really mean. I mean, uh, Nicolas Cage is a little bit horse-faced, but we love him anyway. Yeah, and I think singling him out for a bad accent in this movie um, is a little bit unfair because... All of the non-Greek and non-Italian uh, actors and actresses in this movie, who are then doing an Italian or a Greek accent, are terrible. Yeah. Like John, even jo- John, John Hurt. Hurt. Yeah, I, I like I love John Hurt, but his accent in this, he sounds like Pop out of League of Gentlemen, which I think I said to you <laughs> yeah, at the time. It's a local island for local people. Yes, he sounds just like Pop out of uh league of gentlemen i don't know how many of our listeners will have watched it but if you have i hope you get the same idea as me um and yeah and like christian bale maybe does a little bit better with his accent yeah but he only has about four or five scenes yeah he's not in it very much um but at least at least bless him christian bale is trying very hard as you yeah. always get from him. Like, he's clearly trying very hard with the source material. And and he adds a kind of vibrancy to the film in those brief moments that he's in it. And there's also quite a lot of range. So he starts off as this quite clownish, stupid character. And he returns later on in a much more severe way. And you get the sense that he has grown in that 
brief moment of time. So at least he gets a pass on this movie, I think, Christian Bale. Yeah. Like he he does right his accent, kind of hard man thing quite well. You know, he he's the he's he's a jock basically and he he does that he does that very very well. And you find out later on that the reason that he wasn't responding to her letters when he was away in the war was because he was illiterate and you do feel for him a little bit. Yeah, like he he's never learned to read. He's he's kind of like got swept up in protecting Greece and he's gone off to fight against the Italian army. Um and like he comes back um and he's kind of a broken man who at the same time hasn't been able to although they initially were able to fend off the Italian invasion um he he they weren't able to to stop it entirely because then the Germans uh came and and destroyed Greece effectively yeah um broke broke the the greek resistance um and it's yeah it's it, and you do get a sense of that from his performance this loss this this rage that you can't quite control because he has no control over the situation and all he can do is go and join the partisans uh to try and overthrow the invading forces yeah and his his kind of manly narrative that's going on in the background is a way a much more interesting way of portraying you know the the horror and the devastation of of the second world war and of how the you know they they ransacked greece and destroyed it and then turned on the italians when mussolini surrendered as well um so their their whole island was just left in the shit and yeah his character is way more interesting than the the love story that they try to superimpose on that narrative uh, but that doesn't really gel with it yeah it's uh it's it's a shame really because i think there, from from what I gather, I've not read Captain Crowley's Manda- Mandolin, the book. I have not eaten. You can't, you can't read a fruit. I ha- I haven't fed Captain Crowley's pangolin. Um, <laughs> oh no, it's because- gonna die! You've got to feed it. I know, I know, but you can't feed it after midnight, like gremlins. Oh, then it'll turn into an aardvark. <laughs> it turns into a platypus. <laughs> Just another bizarre creature that shouldn't exist. Um, yeah, it turns into a horse-faced man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, uh, eels have a great song called Dog-Faced Boy, and now I'm just singing that, but in my head, it's Horse-Faced Man <laughs> instead. Um, yeah, and, and I, I've not read the original book because I have many more important things to do with my time than read Captain Corelli's Mandolin, for God's sake. Um, and uh, but, but I've read up around it. From what I can gather, the initial book made the people of Greece, um, particularly the people of uh, Cephalonia, incredibly angry um, because of its portrayal of the events and of the Greeks. Um, so, so the book itself is very much all about this Captain Corelli and his sort of like goofy Italian group who arrive as the invading force, and it paints the uh, the communist partisans as as sort of villainous characters who refuse to help with the with the invading German forces and fought separately from the Italians and did horrible things and stuff like that, um, which uh, is apparently entri- entirely untrue, um, and in fact the and 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 uh, Captain Corelli's mandolin it's based on real events 
um, there was a real massacre of Italian soldiers um, as part of the um, the Italian surrender. Um, so the, the the Germans did take over uh, and quite forcefully take over from the Italians in a lot of places. They did uh, imprison the Italians in concentration camps, and in some cases, they did massacre them, uh, like in this film. Um, but the portrayal of these events was uh was not entirely true um and in terms of evidence of it not being entirely true you can look at the guy who captain corelli is inspired by um who is not given any credit whatsoever <laughs> in the writing of the book um but there was actually an italian captain um who was there and who when the surrender was given uh decided that they would they would fight against the germans who was then captured and his uh, squad all like massacred. Um, but in real life, rather than leaving at that point, he then joined up with the partisans and fought oh, right. with them until the end of the war. Wow. Um, so in fact, in real life, the guy's life seems much more courageous than Captain Corelli's. That would have been a much better story than just trying to tag it on to a, a boring romance. Yes, yeah. So the guy's name is uh, Amos Pampaloni, um, who um, who did fall in love with, with a Greek girl. Um, oh, okay. At the time, um, although he there, there was not like a long-standing romance afterwards, um, but he did have a romance with a Greek girl on the island, um, who I think was someone that he then joined the partisan movement with. Um, towards the end of the war, and it's like there's this amazing story here of this real guy, and like the sort of like way the Germans treated him, and the way that they killed all of the soldiers is much more brutal in real life than it was portrayed in the film. Yeah, which kind of raises some quite awkward questions about why the initial text was so sympathetic to fascist invading forces. Yeah, um, and I kind of would like to get to the bottom of that. It's like. Why are the Italians seen, particularly in the book, as heroic characters? Uh, the communist uh, partisans seen as sort of villainous rivals, and in the in the film, at least, although the Germans are seen as the the ultimate enemy, you do get that, those elements of sympathy within it as well. Whereas in reality, uh, their treatment of the Italians was much much worse than was portrayed here. Yeah, I don't know how it is in the book, but in the film, obviously, the the Italians are romanticized, and at one point, he even says something that's so yeah. When they're on the beach, he he and they're making some noise, and there's a local, or maybe it's the the German captain who is being all dour, and he Cage actually says to him, "We're Italian. We're famous for eating, drinking, and making love." And I'm thinking, "Oh my fucking god, really?" <laughs> right. You couldn't have been more of a cliched ideal if you'd have slapped like a Mario moustache on him and had him coming out going, hey, it's a pizza. Like it would have been, that might have been even less offensive than just like saying that as a serious line. And that oh, I think oh. is, it. it's it's a romanticization of, of Italy, isn't it? Yeah, it's a romanticization of Italy and of Greece. Um, yeah. In in kind of the worst possible ways, uh, Pampaloni was even pissed off about the fact that he had a mandolin because he basically just said, "Outside of Naples, nobody plays the mandolin in Italy." 
Yeah. It's just a stereotype. And um, yeah, it's like, it's really, um, the portrayals here are so paper thin. Um, yeah. It's just stereotypes and like making light of a an awful situation yeah. followed by uh, a war crime event in the name of making a romance movie uh romance novel slash romance movie and to try and attach uh, those is... kind of romantic ideals of both nations to a war story like that where you've you've really focused on the wrong kinds of details is just so tone deaf isn't it <laughs> yeah it's um it's it's kind of horrible um I, I, mate, we should have really followed this up with pearl harbor oh, to God. get the two terrible romance world war ii movies in one go um yeah. but I, maybe we'll just add that to the list and do it another time because i don't think i can bring myself to watch pearl harbor off the back of this film no me neither um it's but yeah it's it's again it's that kind of this, this is like the artsy fartsy version of pearl harbor yeah, um emphasis on the farts um in the it's it's really um it's really i don't think i've ever seen pearl harbor have you not no mate i think i imagine i think even when it came out when we were 12 12 or whatever i was just like that looks boring as shit oh yeah i mean like i've never watched it going into it with any expectation of it being good i didn't watch it at the cinema um but i've watched it since i think it was on television at some point knowing that it was going to be a piece of shit and lo and behold, it is a piece of shit. Um, but um, but yeah, this is it's a it's almost kind of worse the way that Captain Credit's mandolin does it. Um, and and at the very least, I can respect the movie for bringing it a little bit away from the seedier aspects of the book. Um, I don't think the film pissed off Greek people or pissed off the people that the events are based on anywhere near as much as the initial book did. That's interesting. Um, I haven't read the book and I don't intend to, but it, the reason that I was interested to see the film and I was interested in the book as well, even though I was going to read it, is because it was really popular for a time. Remember growing up in the 90s, every house you went to had about five dog-eared paperbacks of that of that book just everywhere. I don't think it won any major awards, but it was a really like commercially successful book. It was by an English guy with a French name as well. People love that shit. <laughs> yes, exactly um it it yeah it it was a very very popular book um, but it hasn't but, endured at all like no, this this film you couldn't even find it on on netflix or even searching on amazon prime no results like it's i'm always interested in why things were very very popular once but have, haven't endured and that's the reason I, I was intrigued by it that and nicholas cage obviously yeah i mean you can't get away from the fact that nicholas cage is in this movie all cage um, is good cage exactly and like at least he's entertaining to watch in this film um but yeah i I do find it interesting that it's it's a real case of um reading up on it it's a real case of the book being a real perversion of the real events um in the name of creating a romance out of it um and like using lots of very dubious sources um louis de bernier uh using lots of very dubious sources in the writing of the book and then sort of like dismissing the fact that it had any relation to this real person in spite of the fact that this real person's life very much mirrors the events of his book um it's yeah 
kind of kind of an interesting choice there. So at least the movie improved on that. Yeah, which is no mean feat. Um, but yeah, I find it interesting that they played the Italians as such heroic people in yeah. this movie, and sort of like suggested that the Italians had no interest in partaking in the overall atrocities of World War Two. Yeah. Um, because welcome to history cast. <laughs> um, hey, they, we all know that the Italians in World War Two were just there to be jolly and have a damn good old time and do lots and lots of singing. Because Italians love their singing and their mandolins and their good food and their wine. And that was what they were there. They were there to stop the Germans from being so boring. Yeah, that's, that's history. <laughs> that, that's exactly how it happened. Um, so Italy, obviously, was run by a fascist. Um, Benito Mussolini, big old fascist. One saving grace of, of Mr. Fascist Mussolini. He didn't quite believe in the race theories of the nazis um so there was not that immediate desire to destroy the jewish race for instance um however there were some atrocities committed by the italians they were particularly aggressive against the slavic races and against the slavic nations um in their in their attacks during world war ii um and they did put jewish people into concentration camps and things like that um, but they didn't send them to death camps. Um, although when they did surrender, the Germans started taking control of it and actually started invading various parts of Italy. Um, so the movie's kind of right in one way, in that there isn't that racial aspect to the fascism, but playing the Italians as good guys who just happen to be coerced into um into this is kind of wrong um and there was there there was like conscription into the italian army but i think there would have been people amongst those troops who did still believe in mussolini's message um and given that there were some very horrible events that that the italians took part in um i think playing them all of as goofy buffoons who like getting drunk and swimming yeah. Um, it's a little bit of a sour note personally and, and that isn't to say that you have to portray every single aspect of the second world war completely correctly in film or that you have to be historically accurate all the time of course you don't as long as you have a greater purpose but it's weird because the Italians are portrayed as these goofy fun loving guys but the tone of the film is so dour and po-faced that it makes you feel like that's supposed to be realistic and then it really grates that it's not you know yeah it's it's really strange the choices made i think maybe that could have come partly from the fact that it's based on this incredibly flawed initial work yeah is that if they were making it as a standalone piece they may maybe would have changed it a little bit but instead they're trying to adapt this historical in quotation marks novel yeah and amping up the romantic aspect of it which was there initially to make it the entire focus of the piece as a whole um, which means you've then got that clash of 60% of the screen time devoted to romance, um, the historical subtext pushed to the background, which already wasn't entirely accurate, um, and then throw in a bit of like weirdness with regards to kind of promoting fascism. And you've got this yeah. very <laughs> weird <laughs> blend of stuff here, which yeah, I, I don't I feel think like... the movie creators 
like wanted in the first place. Uh, I, I don't think they, I think they were kind of stuck with this very lumpen initial idea and couldn't quite eradicate all of the poison from it effectively. Yeah, it's it's based on difficult and not good source material, so they shouldn't have bothered. But when a book is that popular, you kind of have to, don't you? It always happens eventually, doesn't it? Even if it's sort of a couple of years too late, it's always going to happen to a book that popular because someone bought the rights to it in 1995, but it took them six years to get Nicolas Cage on board and they were willing to wait for Cage. So, you know, that's just what I assume happened. That 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 is entirely what happened, I believe. Um, they were like, you know what? The only person that we can imagine playing this Italian captain is Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we've had five years of auditioning real Italian people and none of them have been as good. Get me that cage. We need the cage. <laughs> you know what? When I was watching Con Air, I saw that guy <laughs> and I thought he could play an Italian captain in World War II. Yeah. I bet he knows how to play the mandolin, right? Well, well, the great thing about that is that Nicolas Cage now really can play the mandolin. Um, he was actually that, playing in the film, wasn't he? Yes, he was playing it. So he didn't know any mandolin playing. He hadn't really played an instrument before uh, Captain Corelli's mandolin. But he took it up for the role. And I think he does a pretty good job. It's a, He's yeah. got some decent mandolin playing. You can't fault it. Nothing wrong with it. Sounds good. Yeah, so so um, so as I understand it, the 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 movie soundtrack was all recorded by a mandolin expert, but um, but he was required to actually play the instrument during the filming itself. So I imagine that they probably overdubbed it, but you can tell that he's actually playing the mandolin there. Yeah, like you, even if you look closely, it doesn't look like it's out of sync or anything. It's yeah, it's great. Hats yeah. off to him for that. Yeah, so he's. Yeah, well done, Nick Cage, and and that and that is at least like a level of dedication to like learning this instrument for this role. Yeah, you can't you can't fault him for that. No, he's shown given more effort than some of the other people who half-assed their way through this film. Yeah. Oh, interestingly, I also read that Louis de Bernier hated the film as well. But what did he oh, say? Good, he can piss off. <laughs> He said, it did, he said uh, here, and I quote, it did not promote fascism enough. No, <laughs> really. Why he... didn't it hate on communists more? Yeah. Louis de Bernier, he's still alive. I bet he voted for Brexit. Oh, I bet he did. Born 8th he... of December 1954. He's definitely a gammon. <laughs> he's What's... prime gammon age. <laughs> What's French for gammon? Hambon. <laughs> Louis de Hambon. Jean Bon. <laughs> Louis de bon. Louis de Jean Bon. Louis de Jean Bon. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. I, I. I've not read anything that he's written. No, I've. I've no interest in reading any of his book. But it's interesting that he. He hated the film. I can't. I had a note about why, and I can't remember why. There was some reason. Maybe it it just apparently it yeah it just missed out a lot of the details of the the things that made the romance interesting as well. So it kind of fails on every level of what it tries to do. Uh, the romance just feels really dull, and her character is just so <laughs> passive. And she she's a really it's... good act, actor, but in this film she's just so kind of passive and po faced. And that when um when he he comes up to her and he's like, I I wrote you that song because I love you, and she's just like, 
okay, yeah, I love you too. Why not? Where there's there's been no spark between them at all. He's mostly just been kind of gently pursuing her, and she's just been kind of silently resisting him. But then she's like, okay, yeah, I'll kiss you. Let's have sex in the woods. Why not? He's like, what? I didn't. I didn't believe it. And let's let's talk a little bit about the um, the parallels between Mandras by Christian Bale and Captain Corelli himself, <laughs> and how one of them is seen as a bad love interest and one of them is seen as a good love interest. Mandras uh, so, by Christian Bale. So, which one of these characters am I discussing here, Paddy? Um, am a, I being quizzed? You, you are being quizzed. Uh, a a goofy man. Uh, who doesn't necessarily show that much interest in love as a whole, uh, who then goes through a traumatic event and becomes a lot grumpier, disappears for a while, and then comes back. Is that Captain Corelli, or is that Mandras? That is, that is Mandras. But is it also Captain Corelli? Ah. A, a goofy person who turns up, doesn't show that much interest in love as a whole, goes through something traumatic, changes as a person and becomes much more severe, disappears, and then reappears. Um, the only real difference between their characters is that one of them plays a musical instrument and the other one pulls pranks, which, to be fair, one of those things is not often looked for in a romantic partner. <laughs> what, pr- prankster? Yeah, being a prankster. Um, on a first date, you don't want to unscrew the salt uh, and so your your date gets salt all over their food yeah. and then you laugh at them. That doesn't or go down very well. Turn over a glass of water on the table while it's still full so that someone has to pick it up and then water goes everywhere. Lol. Yes. Yeah, that's uh that's that's not uh that's not what you want from from but this is Rob's romance tips. Don't <laughs> prank your dates. Even if it doesn't was, go down well. Even if it was Christian Bale. You'd still say no to him if he. If yeah, he tries, even then you'd be like, "Come on, shit. Christian, for God's sake, get it together, yeah, um, sort it out." But yeah, th- so like, I I think there's a lot of parallels there that they didn't necessarily think of, and I think the two characters are actually very very similar. Um, yeah. The the di- the main difference between them is that one of them is an occupying fascist force, and the other one is a is a patriot <laughs> trying to defend his homeland. Yeah. Um, and that's the real difference. But you know. Fash, but they don't cool. give Mandras enough time to grow. Really, his his characterization feels very, very utilitarian, and it feels like it's just part of her characterization, which is also just part of his characterization, because it's all about Corelli and his big love story. Whereas Mandras is just all very secondary to all that. So actually, exploring his character probably would have been a lot more interesting with the things that he's been through. Yes, and all of that happens off screen, and it's never fully discussed. Um, yeah, and like that would have actually been a really interesting movie. And and I was watching this, and I was thinking, I don't know if it's happened, but it would be really interesting to see a um, a movie about the massacre of the Italian troops on this yeah. island, the massacre of the Acqui Division, um, or about the actual history of Cephalonia in World War Two. That would be fascinating. I have no idea. Yeah, I imagine there are books. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure there are, but um, but it would be really interesting to see someone do a um, do a do a new actual movie on it. You could even get Christian Bale in it because he's a proper actor. Yeah, he would be very um, good. 
Um, not that I'm sure he'd want to revisit the subject matter <laughs> given his experiences in Captain Corelli's Mandolin. But yeah. um, but it would actually be really um, it would actually be a really interesting subject matter and actually bring this to light more because at least in my my knowledge, the only popular um, sort of like adaptation of this historical event is Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Which is a shame. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, a film that was treated the history with respect and reverence and, you know, went about that would, yeah, could be could be quite good, I guess. Yeah, it would be very interesting, I think. Rather um, than trying to make sort of bold statements about love in every single piece of dialogue between two characters and then just cutting between long scenes of Nicolas Cage playing the mandolin and the Italians being jolly and Italian and then some war shit and then some more love dialogue. And then Nicolas Cage standing in the bushes like a lemon. I knew that that was going to happen. When I, I knew that he was going to come back and that she was going to just turn around and he was just going to be standing there like an idiot in the bush in the bushes. Like, I knew it. Yeah, it's uh, it it was it was always going to happen, wasn't it? And it's just yeah. like, oh my god, it's creepy um, and strange. And again, it's one of those things where it's like you're trying to shoehorn this stupid generic romance plot into something where something like that has no place being. Yeah. Why are you doing this? Why aren't you making an interesting movie or leaving this very sensitive subject matter the fuck alone until you understand what you're doing? It's just so, it's so self-conscious in a way that I, I kind of assumed that it would be. But it's also, she, she says lines like, I long to feel something even if it is only pain. And you just think, oh, come on, you don't need to say that. We'll get the message. There's 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 like subtextual and implication and stuff. You don't have to say all of these grand statements about love, even coming from wise old John Hurt. It sounded corny, you know? Yeah, it was it, it's oh, it's so frustrating. And it's like, this is one of the biggest POW massacres of World War Two. Maybe don't try and chuck this bullshit into the middle of this setting for no good reason um but again i think that still partly comes down to the fact that the initial subject the the initial adaptation is it you're set up to fail yeah i i wrote down in my notes ignores the true horror of war in favor of euro schmaltz <laughs> yeah i mean this would lead on quite nicely to mamma mia really wouldn't it yeah, both are set on beautiful Greek islands, so you know that's about where the similarities end. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah. I did not enjoy this movie, Paddy. I'm not gonna no, lie. I, I did not either. There's Nicholas Cage. He comes across as really creepy, as well as his accent being just so laughably bad, and his face just being so kind of like it's. He's just. <laughs> Like Peter Bradshaw used the word droop, droopy to describe the film, but he looks like Droopy the dog as well. He's just got his this kind of permanent sad face, like serious sad face on the, that just makes me laugh every time. And he watches her dance for ages, and then later on he's talking to her, and he's like, he says, "I thought I could watch you forever." And you just think, "Oh, come on, dude, <laughs> don't do that." Uh, it's yeah, he's not great, Nick Cage. Um, it's one of those moments where he kind of puts in an understated performance but with flourishes of of nick cage energy 
yeah that just kind of makes it even worse i suppose yeah um, you either want just, him to yeah. go full mental nick cage or to just kind of play it down completely but there's, there's something in between you can and you can tell you can see it in his face that he's caught between the two poles of cage uh, and that he's being he's being <laughs> the ta- binary of cage yeah, he's being torn apart but you're tearing me apart louis de bernier <laughs> but like it's yeah you can tell that he's caught between it and it doesn't work it's a shame i feel bad for him yeah it's just it's it doesn't work um and i i mean i don't think casting anybody else in this movie would have necessarily made it better but i don't think he was the right choice no who else could you have had in 2001 you could have had bronholm bronholm would have have done a good job yeah, he would have done a decent job, actually. Um, yeah, who else was around then? Um, Two thousand and one. Liam, Liam Neeson. Oh, I'm not Liam sure whether Neeson. he would have been able to do a good Italian accent. He's he comes across as a sort of slightly more intelligent version of Cage, but then you realise he's actually not at all when he's in terrible films like The Commuter. Oh yeah, he does a lot of. Um, he I has a lot of really it, but... bad movies, which I find very strange because he's got such amazing acting cred behind him. Yeah. Um, he's been in some amazing movies over the years. Like The Phantom um, Menace. Like, like, you know, like The Phantom Menace, everybody's favourite, um, <laughs> everyone's favourite Star Wars movie. But even like, even recently he was in The Grey, which was billed as Liam Neeson fights wolves with glass on his hands, but in reality is actually this really affecting drama about loss and death and and isolation. Um, so even that was a, actually a really really good film. Um, but at the same time, he's doing like, yeah, the, the train that couldn't slow down or whatever the <laughs> hell the commuter was about. <laughs> no, I think it's about a man who gets the same train every day and then his phone turns into a gun or whatever. <laughs> because it could Um, happen to you on your commute and that's how you make a film hashtag relatable is by making it about the most boring possible subject matter because it's relatable yeah yeah i'm just i'm just looking at at what he's been in recently and like obviously he did taken and that kind of set his career off on this i've never seen it it looks all right it Taken's looks, okay. It looks yeah. like he's started in Taken, which was good, and then done about twenty-five films, which are all like bad versions of Taken. Yeah, exactly, and and that's part of the problem is that since then he's done like non-stop unknown. He did the Battleship movie. Is um, Rihanna in that? Rihanna is in the Battleship movie. Yeah, um, I, I would like to watch it on that basis. Yes, I mean that that's that's enough reason. Um, and it's just like it just feels like a bit of a shame because like that's what he seems to be prioritizing at the moment and like fair play to him i mean he's done enough great movies in his past that he doesn't need to do a good movie again his his he's still you know done enough i think in terms of his he's er- he's earned it yeah it's like robert de niro if he wants to make 100 dirty grandpa films he's earned it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah uh, um, Liam Neeson. It says here that he voiced a raccoon in the Nut Job. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> that's that's, that's got to be a career highlight. <laughs> I mean, he is he is going to play Philip Marlowe. Okay. 
um, which might that. be interesting. Like that would be cool. Um, he's in a movie called Widows that comes out, I think, this year. Says twenty eighteen at the moment. Um, that also has Daniel Kaluuya in it, and as Elizabeth Debicki, and John Bernthal. So that's a decent enough cast. Colin cool. Farrell. Sounds good. Um, and it's a uh, Colin Farrell. Looks- he's like he's like the angry Liam Neeson. <laughs> he's the cheeky Liam Neeson. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Colin Farrell was one who I think he's got the opposite problem of um of Liam Neeson, where he's got um this sort of like perception as being a bit of a like dumb actor who's in a lot of bad movies um but in reality he's done quite a lot of interesting films and like recently he's done loads of really good stuff yeah um so yeah i think he gets a bit of a bad reputation unfairly colin farrell he could have done captain corelli couldn't he was he too young he might have been a bit young then yeah um but i don't know that he'd have been any any more incongruous than Nicolas Cage. <laughs> he was doing he was doing stuff like Minority Report around that time. So he was still pretty young and phone booth and stuff like that. Yeah. So he was he was a little bit on the on the cheeky scamp side. To Tom Cruise? Could it, could Tom Cruise have done it? Tom Cruise could have done it, yeah. Yeah. I reckon. Um yeah, so there's lots of people that could have done it instead of Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Um what I think is terrible is that Penelope Cruz received a Golden Raspberry Award nomination for Worst Actress for this film, when actually her performance was definitely much better than Nicolas Cage's. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think the person who annoyed me the most was John Hurt and his, yeah. and his terrible Greek accent. That kind You of, knew that, it was that, beneath him. Yeah, and it's, uh, that, that was the one that was frustrating. And like Penelope Cruz was terrible, like Nicolas Cage was terrible. John Hurt was disappointingly bad. Um, and yeah, it was just all a bit... Ugh, basically. Yeah, it's it was... very laboured, very sort of... It's, yeah, it's just a bit dull and dour and droopy to use Peter Bradshaw's <laughs> <laughs> It looks, it looks nice. Movie. I'll give it that. It yeah, looks it's nice. all right. It looks. I think the directing was decent. Yeah, but um, it looks like the moment like a, if you've ever gone on holiday to a Greek island. I've been to Greece. I've never been on like a Greek island holiday. But there must be a moment when you go on a long walk and you're actually quite far from your hotel and you don't have any water and you really need to pee but you can't because there aren't enough tree. There isn't enough tree coverage, and you're a bit pissed off and you just want to go home. It's kind of. It must be that moment on your Greek island holiday. <laughs> Yeah, I can get behind that. Um, but yeah, no, it, it looks all right. It, it looks it looks pretty pleasant the way that it's directed. It's competently done. Um, but again, yeah. you can't put you can't put lipstick on a pig. And and the initial story of this is uh, a real sow. Yeah, you can't put makeup on a gammon. Well, <laughs> you can. I mean, that's probably can, easier than can. putting it on a on a live pig. <laughs> Um, I'm yeah. not. I'm not sure how how much positivity it would bring to a gammon, though. It'd probably taste a bit bitter after you put like foundation on it. Yeah, I wouldn't eat that. 
no. Um, yeah. So yeah, so, don't do yeah. That. Don't do that, and don't watch this film. <laughs> well, yeah, no. I guess you've you've probably watched it if you've got this far into the podcast, but yeah. But don't, don't watch it again. Whatever don't you watch do. it again. Um, yeah. Yeah, not not even Nicolas Cage's performance can save it, which I think is the most disappointing. No, just watch the YouTube clip with the for the Cage Challenge, and that's everything you need to know. Honestly, yeah, yeah, get involved in the Cage Challenge. If we put that together for two hours with all of the different submissions, that would yep. be a more entertaining two hours than watching the whole movie. That genuinely would be a much better film. So yeah, how are we how are we gonna rate this shit? Ooh, um, oh, that's a difficult one. Um, how long in minutes is your unnecessary mandolin playing scene? <laughs> how long does it go on for? Or yes. How long does it actually go on for? Whilst fi- whilst how how long does it feel like it goes on for? Even though it's only actually a minute and a half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to give this a 7 out of 20 and I think that's being charitable actually just because it looks all right and you have to give it just a slight bit of a pass in that it is being adapted from probably a very a bad book that came with a lot of problems and a lot of baggage and to have pulled out uh, you know, a passable romance from that is something, I guess. And I like Nicolas Cage's face and I like his mandolin playing. And there are a few little moments of intrigue. There's one very, very good dramatic moment, in fact, where Penelope Cruz pulls a gun on him and you're like, oh shit, dog, is she going to shoot him? But of course she doesn't because they need to fall in love later on. But yeah, it's, I think seven is char- is being charitable. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to give it an eight and exactly the same reasons. It's like this initial story seems like an absolute horror show train wreck thing um but it's still a bad movie they they did i think they did as well as they could do i think maybe they shouldn't have cast nicholas cage like as much as i love him this is not one of his better performances and it's also not one of his more entertaining bad performances either it's just no. in that awkward middle ground where he's kind of subdued and it's like no i want i want not the bees nicholas cage not this <laughs> yeah not this vaguely smug italian nicholas cage and like as bad as his accent is it wasn't entertaining enough to keep me occupied for the full two-hour runtime yeah and um, like smug smugness is not something that you want to be vague isn't it if you're gonna be smug go all in yeah exactly um and so so yeah like they did well with the subject matter but they still made a lot of missteps and it's boring and it's irritating and the fact that it kind of makes light of one of the uh nastiest moments of world war ii is is kind of not very nice yeah and you know the the reasons that things don't endure are usually because people look at those elements of them and go actually yeah i'm never gonna watch that again um and that's yeah when things don't endure there is usually a reason and that is it yes exactly um so yeah this this relic should be put back in the ground yeah, bury it. And not in a time capsule. <laughs> no, just bury it. Chuck it in the sea. Get in the bin. <coughs> and then bury the bin. Yep. Captain Corelli's bin. 
<laughs> Captain Corelli's mandabin. <laughs> that's a bin, but made out of mandolins. It's like four mandolins arranged, so there's a space in the middle. <laughs> oh, dear. And that is where he put his heart. I can't really do his his accent because it really has to be heard to be believed. Yeah, like because it's not even like a Italian accent. It's kind of this weird thing. Um, yeah. Um, but right. yeah, so yeah, don't don't watch this. It's, no. it's well rubbish. Yeah, it is bad. We've got the the average score of let's see seven point five, which is quite low on our charts. The only films that are worse than it are... Obviously, William and Kate the movie. Running at four. Where is Twilight? Twilight came in at a 6.5. So it's got it's one point up from, from Twilight. Oh, there we go. Yeah. But at the same time, I'd probably rather watch some of the Stranger movies from the Twilight saga over this again. I'd much rather watch New Moon. It's all about New Moon. <laughs> I want some Wolf Boys. Where are the wolf boys? Yeah, and I'd honestly actually rather watch William and Kate the movie. So maybe our scoring system also oh, is wrong. I don't, I don't know about that. I'd, I'd rather watch a Christmas <laughs> Prince. Oh no, no, a Christmas Prince scored nine point five. So that's yeah. a full two. That's a full it's two a, points. It's ahead. a suitably better film. Yeah, I'd um, much rather watch a Christmas Prince. Yeah, this is this is not good. It's not a good film. Don't watch it. But no. do take part in our little fun activity yeah the cage challenge hashtag cage challenge we're gonna get this going <laughs> hashtag Please. cage challenge we'll run it we'll run it for a couple of weeks and then and then play some of the results on an episode tbc yeah that would be good yeah cool so what's what's next what are we going to use to dig ourselves out of the cage hole yeah i needed something off the back of the grimness of never let me go and which was my own doing i admit that um and then the the nastiness of captain corelli's mandolin and the sort of awkwardness of that um we're gonna go for something a little bit sweeter and a little bit more fantastical and we're going to watch the live action cinderella oh okay that's a that's a good call it's an interesting interesting curveball i have seen that already I will be excited to watch that again. That's a very interesting way to frame romance, obviously, as well. The whole fairy tale thing, the whole Disney thing. Nice. Good choice. Yes. So, yeah, 2015 Cinderella for, for our listeners. Cool. You can watch the animated one if you want, but that's not what we're going to be talking about. Not compulsory. That's extra background reading. Yes. Yeah. If you really want to swat up, do that. Yeah. Read the fairy tale etc extended reading list yes exactly cool that's good do we have anything else to follow up on i don't let me just quickly check the twitters for any nonsense but i don't believe i do i've already talked about all the films i've seen recently so yeah, no, I don't. That, that's it for me. Let's see. No, the the tweets are all about how 
people following up on your comment about Dunkirk not being Brexity and that kind of shit. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing that we need to talk about. Do do people agree talk- with me that Dunkirk's not very Brexity? <laughs> yeah, you 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 were being um, vindicated in your opinion. Excellent, good stuff. I'm still never going to watch it. <laughs> I'd rather watch Captain Corelli's Mandolin again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paddy, don't say that. Oh, wait, you know, the only thing we haven't done is check the score of this versus the Bridges of Madison County. This scored Ooh. lower. This scored lower. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree the, uh, with that. Well, let's see Interestingly, you scored this one point higher than the Bridges of Madison County, which you scored at a seven. You gave Captain Corelli's Mandolin an eight, whereas I gave Captain Corelli's Mandolin a seven, but I gave the Bridges of Madison County a ten. So we're talking average scores. Bridges of Madison County averaged out higher. But which of these films would you rather watch again? I'd probably rather watch the Bridges of Madison County, but that's only saying that because I've not watched the Bridges of Madison County in a while. And if I started rewatching that movie, also there's the bonus of the Bridges of Madison County only having one terrible Italian accent versus multiple. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that is something that they share, though. Yes, yeah, it is something they share. It's being incredibly boring and affairs and bad Italian accents. Yeah, time is a great healer, though. You know. Maybe it enough is, time yeah. will pass that we can get around to watching the Bridges of Madison County again. Maybe for our hundredth episode. <laughs> yeah, one hundredth episode. We'll rewatch the Bridges of Madison County. I think that's Bridges a, of that's Madison a... County Redux. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I'm already excited. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right. Well, if if there's nothing else to say, then. We'll, we'll leave it there and we'll be back next week to watch Cinderella Brackets 2015. Um, if you like what we do, always appreciated. Leave us a review. Give us five stars. Nothing other than five stars, please. Thank you. And um, if you want to correspond with us, let us know that we're wrong about Captain Corelli's mandolin. Um, drop us an email at bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at bigboysdon'tpod. Always love to hear from yes. you. Yes. Yeah, get in touch and let us know what do you prefer? Do you prefer mandolins, mandarins, or pangolins? What's your yeah. favourite out of the three? That's a very important poll. We'll, we'll put that out as a poll. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, let us know. Yeah. Look out for that and the hashtag cage challenge. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that's how Cage would say it. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs>